0: Welcome to Behind the Art, a podcast developed by Rockhampton Museum of Art. In each episode of Behind the Art, we unlock hidden treasures and activities of the creative sector with a focus on visual arts. Conversations with artists, collectors, curators, conservators, researchers, educators and so many more they will demystify the world that is visual arts. Join us as we take you Behind the Art. Today on Behind the Art, Bianca Asimovich, Rockhampton Museum of Art Director, chats with artist Michelle Black about her practice as a fine artist, printmaker, commercial artist, graphic artist, and urban designer. In our conversation with Michelle, we delve into ideas of the contribution that artists have to a broader understanding and interpretation of the world around us. As a microcosm of society, artists represent the broader thoughts and ideals of communities in which they live, and they present their interpretations in visual media, sharing a visual voice to a contemporary community. Join us for the next half hour as we delve into the practice of Michelle Black and how she connects her skills as a printmaker, graphic artist and urban designer to result in successful collaborative projects that speak about people and place.
1: Throughout your practice, you sustain a strength in collaboration. And if we look to your activities, let's say within the Capricornian printmakers, um, you're one of the driving forces behind their annual project Double Exposure um, you've worked as an urban designer, and so, in that capacity, you deliver for clients. And your recent public artwork collaborating with Jerumble artist Ernest Garrett. So all of these to me, really stand out as collaborative projects. Is collaboration an intention of your arts practice, and how do you successfully navigate a mutually beneficial process for all of these parties?
2: Um well, I suppose uh, collaborative projects in art really hasn't been my intention, but it's just fallen into that um, kind of a practice um, because of my history as an urban designer. um I worked for nine years as an urban designer, six years in local government, where I had to work with the public um, to to produce good outcomes for their streetscapes in local. Shopping areas and things like that, and then um, more recently, well, for the last fifteen years as a graphic designer, I have to work with clients very closely and to have come up with a good outcome for their business or um, whatever projects that I happen to be working on. And so, I guess it just comes naturally to me that I'm a collaborator, uh, and one of my strengths is working. With my clients to get that best outcome, um find out what they're really wanting to do and achieve. And I never even have a written brief. it just kind of sinks in, and we we work through the process together.
1: But you make this seem, this process seem seem natural. For a lot of people for creatives, there's a creative intent and letting go of that initial concept or idea. Um, is actually really tricky. So full credit to you for being, you know, collaborative and being able to merge the strengths of multiple people um, in that process. So let's look at the Capricornian printmakers, for example. How how does that collaborative process happen with double exposure for for you as a practitioner? What projects have you worked on, and who have you worked with? Oh, okay. My favourite project was actually the first
2: uh double exposure project. Um, so we as a group um decided after a chance conversation between um, Peter Lloyd, myself, and Sean Bidoff, who was working with us on the public art project for the very first River Festival. Um, we had this chance conversation. He turned out to be one of the Rockhampton Photography Club members and we said, oh, we were actually talking not that long ago that we'd like to work with you guys on something. So anyway, that sparked the collaboration um, where annually the two groups come together, pair up and a collaboration is formed Um, Some people work very closely together and actually produce a work together. Some people just decide on a theme together and go off and do their own thing. My favourite one was the very first one that I did with William Renton and he had a photograph of some mould in an old camera, I think it was. And so we just took off from there and used... um, my skills as a graphic designer to digitally alter the artwork. So I zoomed right in and, you know, you could almost see little particles of mould. And then we, so we, the camera mould was in, I think it was in an old analogue camera. And then he had taken a digital photograph of it. I used digital means of altering the artwork to produce Some transparencies, and then we went right back to one of the original photographic processes of cyanotype to create the prints, and we did that together. Um, So we came up with all of these blue and white prints um, of all these really interesting patterns that have come out of this one photograph of the mold. And then to present them, we actually cut them into small circles and put them into petri dishes and sealed them in resin and because that's a very scientific kind of way of presenting the artwork, which is a scientific kind of experiment almost. Um, So that was actually my favourite one. And um, since then uh, I've worked with um, Peter Lloyd and Sean Bedolf. You'll see that partnership emerging a few times. And um, we looked at uh, the old trains over at the Archer Park Um, railway station. And we missed out this year. I was going to partner up with Sean again, but we didn't get to do our exhibition in 2020 due to COVID. Uh, So maybe next
1: year. (laughs) And I can see from um, having the opportunity to see your practice and see where you work um, at the Walter E. Cultural Centre just how influential these, I don't know, experiments are and how they sort of delve you into exploring new realms because your practice certainly isn't traditional printmaking. You have interesting explorations in mediums and also processes. So like when we look at it, your practice engages um, in one realm with the Fitzroy River, so to Nuba, Yes. can you talk us through how you work with the river and how you came to work with the river? And I mean both conceptually and also physically.
2: Okay, so the start of my work with the river happened um, as part of the recollection exhibition that uh, we worked on in 2018, I think it was, Um, that was a collaborative exhibition where we had five artists, um, four printmakers and a letterpress artist Um, and we all worked in response to two history books about Rockhampton that were recently republished by Kuruman Press and how that came about was because I was a graphic designer that was working with um, the publisher and I said, "Oh, this would be a fantastic project," and um, he said, "Yes, it would be. Let's go." Um, so well, again, your strength in collaboration, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, and Mark Svenson, who is the publisher, he happens to also be Art Central Queensland, the president, and so he helped us write a grant to be paid to actually make the work which was the real springboard for the change in the way that I worked um, previously and I'd always tried to make pretty work that people might want to buy and put on their walls and this time round because I'd already been paid a little bit for my time mostly for my materials and framing and so on um, so, I didn't feel that I needed to make sellable work. So, in deciding what subject matter I wanted to work on for that exhibition, uh, I knew that I wanted to do something to do with the river because um, when I work in town in Rockhampton, if I've got a bit of time waiting for children at, after school or when I'm on my lunch break, I um, often go and sit down at the river and I really enjoy it down there. I just knew that I wanted to do something like that. So when I opened the book and it opened on the flooding page, I went, okay, this is going to be interesting because it's also the 100th anniversary of the biggest flood in Rockhampton. So that's how I came about um, choosing flooding, flood history in Rockhampton. and. In my time here in Rockhampton, or Capricorn Coast and Rockhampton, um, I've seen, I think it's about three or four major floods. And what I always really took notice of was all of the mud that was left behind as the floodwaters receded. And I thought that might be really interesting to explore. And I thought, I might be able to use it in the water to kind of stain the paper or something like that. That didn't really work out but what I found myself doing was actually using the mud from the river to make monoprints and then include that with historical references to flood levels and rainfall quantities um, and the stories that were actually in these, um, these books about particular flood events in different years and things like that and so um, yeah that's how I got started with the river and mono printing with mud which isn't particularly um, archival but uh, anyway I, and I had no idea that people would be so interested in it and it's just about all sold out <laughs> and one of the works has just recently been a finalist in the Uh, 2020 Libris Awards, the Australian Artist Book Awards up at Mackay. So that was pretty exciting.
1: And we hold one in the collection here with Rockhampton, one of the very first pieces in that sort of exploration of it.
2: The work that's held in the collection here is the work that I started to develop as a result of this process um, I actually started creating work that used the mud to create my printing plates, which was then tradi- printed in a more traditional way with ink so that it's more archival, you know, it's something that will last forever. And so for the Baton Award in 2018, 19, 2019, um, I, my, I created work that, um, is titled Overflow because, um. I wanted to expand upon that work um, with the flood history, but also my major client is Fitzroy Basin Association and we were working on a project that was to do with um, flood bank, uh, sorry, riverbank erosion and sediment and we're constantly talking about river processes and sediment and things like that. So I thought I'm just going to keep going with this because I really enjoyed it and it's... It sort of links me to my graphic design work that I do, and um so I yeah used the the river sediment to make flows of mud across the printing plate, and then I set that and sealed it and printed um, with that and uh, then also had a dry point layer over the top, so it was a layered print um, and and that illustrated the actual like uh, a map. Outline of part of the Fitzroy River, so um, yeah, working this way kind of really grounds me. I'm not from this area, and um, it helps me relate more to my country that I'm living on and working in, I guess so yeah,
1: and you are so connected in the different sort of creative hats that you're wearing to the to the river and to the water system, um, there could be almost like a subconscious processing of of uh, theory that you're doing in Mm. your day-to-day graphic design clientele work. Yeah. And then that, I guess that's like a research method sitting in the background every day.
2: I'm really lucky. You know, I get to work with um, Fitzroy Basin Association, which is really um, exciting Mm. work because that also goes back to even my studies when when I was studying town planning and we did lots of natural resource management work. So everything's all interrelated. And, you know, I would do all this work with the local publisher. And so all of the history books, that's interrelated as well. So it is fantastic that I can tie all parts of my life together.
1: Yeah. And Um, it's a great strength that you have, like over and over, we hear that, you know, how the graphic design work is complementing the visual arts work um, in your practice. But Not only are you inspired by the Fitzroy River, as so Tanuba, as a body of water, but you also are working with the seawaters of the Pacific Ocean. Um, So as you mentioned, you have your studio um, in Rockhampton along Tanuba, but you also live along the Capricorn Coast. And so can you tell us how living by the sea has inspired interesting ways um, to work as well as a printmaker?
2: Uh, if I need to calm down and just feel completely at ease when I'm at home all I have to do is go for a walk on the beach or on a Sunday when it's really quiet I can actually hear the the ocean from my home and when we had when the kids were really small we used to be at the beach every weekend because we didn't have all the driving around with um, lots of sports and work and all those sort of things. So the beach actually played a large role in our lives as our family was growing up and so it's it's just a place that I just love to go and it just puts me at ease and I it takes me back to when when it was kind of an easier life, I suppose, when life was, you know, around raising the children and doing a little bit of work because I was only a um, part-time contractor at that time, very part-time, um, and my husband could come home from work and we'd go to the beach or go for a walk or whatever. So, yeah, it was a much easier time. So, yeah, it by working with the beach it brings back those feelings of that easy time and, um, yeah, so I really enjoy doing that um,
1: and it's the, materialized into sort of recent cyanotypes.
2: Yes, yes so you could hear the excitement in my voice about the cyanotype project that I did with William Renton. Well I still get really excited about cyanotype projects. Um, so in 2019, um, so 2019 I was part of the counterparts project at the Rockhampton Art Gallery and we were working in response to works in the collection um, from female artists. I worked um in response to Sally Gabori's Dibirdby Country and she responded to her ancestral landscape um almost as a very abstract form of a an aerial photograph of her landscape that she was in. Um so, my interpretation of that was responding to that landscape that my family was growing up in. So that was the beach. and so I went down to the beach with my family on Mother's Day with these cyanotype coated pieces of paper, and we dipped them in the ocean, we pressed them in the wet sand, we did all those sort of things together. we collected driftwood together,. Um, so, I was kind of recreating that growing up at the the beach um with my teenagers who probably didn't really want to be there. but <laughs> um yeah, and so what I created was uh, lots of watery, wet kind of marks in a wet cyanotype process, and I left the salt water in the print in the paper on some of them and then added extra sea like content. Concentrated sea salt water to create salt marks into that as well. So I had this beautiful kind of um, receding tide line appearance to the work, um, and also had some works where I was trying to recreate the uh, casuarina tree that I used to sit beneath, and um, and I had so I had these needles that were covered in the cyanotypes and. Um, they were embedded into the piece of driftwood that was found around the now overturned tree that um, was knocked over in the cyclone Marsha. Yeah.
1: See, so. this is what's so powerful about your work. You you just bring together so much. So you've looked at Sally Gabori's work, her intention of place and landscape and family and then reinterpreted it because that was that project particularly, yes. um, Counterparts and, yeah, but did it in in a new way, exploring materials and and mediums and the way that you can push and challenge what it means to be a printmaker. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, Exciting. And I didn't, yeah, I knew I'd, I was so petrified of working on that project um, and responding to Sally's work because it's so significant. Um, And and also it's an Indigenous artwork, so how do I as a white Australian respond to that? And I was really quite terrified, to be honest, but I just did it in my own way. And I
1: remember having those conversations with you, even the scale of the work. So yes, culturally, how do do non-Indigenous work with Indigenous, um, respectfully, Mm. um, but also the scale of her work, four metres, versus the work that you produce, which is a paper sheet size. Yes, yeah. um, And wanting to complement but not yeah. contrast yeah. at the same time.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I f- was really happy with how it turned
1: out in the end. Um, so looking at these works and the way that you collaborate, one of the points that you made earlier was we, when you had that freedom um, to not feel like you needed to create saleable works and I guess this is always a question that artists look at. Do you create for the market or do you create for yourself and where are those um, push and pulls depending on your personal situation and and what you use or need your practice to do for you in your life. So up until um, Recollections there was for you a bigger drive to produce, you know, in inverted commas, saleable work Verse. Then you start exploring um, the river, the flow, mud sediments, um, saltwater residues, and you start creating this really diverse and interesting practice. So, big question: What does it do between prior, trying to produce a saleable work and then actually creating something that you're very interested in? Is it still saleable? Absolutely. <laughs> It is, yes. Um,
2: I guess maybe because people, when they talk to me, they see the passion in the work and they understand where the work's coming from. Um, Yeah, no, it's been very successful and probably more so even than my bold graphic um, sort of almost designed lino prints that I used to uh, work with and I had to stop doing those for a while because I actually hurt my arm doing it because there's a lot of pressure on your forearm when
1: you're you're carving and um, I'm kind of glad that happened. <laughs> so I think it's a great lesson for those artists who you know are asking that question do I do I create for myself or do I create for what I perceive as a market and I guess if you're inherently valuing yourself you're valuing the ideas and the work and the method that you're putting into and so people see that value so if we look at yours in your inverted commas unsaleable works <laughs> you've got an acquisition to the Rockhampton Art Gallery Collection finalist in the Libris Award um commissioned through the counterpart show which was funded through Regional Arts Australia with Flying Arts, so it's not it's not like you can't sustain a really interesting gallery practice when you really honour what you're passionate about as well. That's
2: right, and um, there's quite a few people in Rockhampton who now own work with mud actually on it in their collection at home, which is still astonishing. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite amazing, really. So.
1: And your artwork materialises not only through a studio and gallery practice but also through a public art practice and it includes large ephemeral public art installations that you've slightly mentioned um, today. Uh, One of them was in 2013 with the Botanic Gardens, um, temporary ephemeral public art installation. Um, And then you're a reoccurring figure um, in the river festivals as well, 2015, 2016. Um, you were also part of a development workshop with urban art projects um, and I recall it as 2017, 2018. Yeah, somewhere around there. But I start 2017. To, yeah, years start to merge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently your collaboration um, on a seating commission at the Niram Circuit uh, in Rockhampton. Yes. So as an urban designer, you know, in your previous life, um, and as an active graphic designer and printmaker, how do these areas of printmaking, urban design, and graphic design support you to work in the public art realm? I guess as an urban designer, it gave
2: me the ability to visualize in three D how my two dimensional works as a printmaker can um, can evolve, and then the skills as a graphic designer then makes me able to easily digitise those and produce the outcome that a fabricator requires. Um, So working with the local fabricator, she says to me one day, Michelle, you're the easiest artist to work with because you know exactly what I need. (laughs) So because of all of the work that I do in my commercial work as graphic designer. Um, So, yeah, the, the three careers definitely merge in public art.
1: Yeah, I totally support the fabricators' um, comments there. You are. Those, those three merge so well yeah. um, to apply to a public art um, platform as well. And so as itself, um, a collaborative work, uh, working with De Rumble artist Ernest Garrett, um, you were able to bring together his 2D painting um, and then also your practice and an exploration of um, the natural environment into a, a seating treatment that's now atop of Nirum. Yes, that's right. And uh, on my
2: 21st wedding anniversary the other day, um, my husband and I, after a 5 a.m. school drop-off for the rugby tournament, went up to uh, Nirum circuit to look at my seats and sit on them as the sun rose. So that was our celebration.
1: So, yeah. I did see that gorgeous photo. I did see that. And so if we go back to that notion of collaboration now that I've maybe brought it to the forefront, an unintentional um, process that actually is really a strong ribbon throughout your practice. So you have great strength in bringing together a variety of ideas, concepts and people and creating a harmonious and visually successful outcome in there as well. So Maybe you might think of yourself as uh, having also a strength in collaboration as well as collaborating um, and bringing together your diverse skills over the multiple hats that you've worn over the years. Mm. And I just love working with
2: other artists. It's wonderful. Gets me out of the house (laughs) or out of the office.
1: (laughs) So there's a lot coming up for Michelle Black, um, an artist living and working throughout um, Rockhampton and the Capricorn Coast and it's been wonderful unpacking some of your unique strengths and how you materialise those in a visual arts practice. So thank you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you.
0: Behind the Art is brought to you by Rockhampton Museum of Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing as there will be more releases every week. And if you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find them at the Rockhampton Museum of Art website or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for all the latest news and information about the Rockhampton Arts community and exciting new developments coming soon. Thank you.